Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. Thanks for being here. It's Thursday, January 28th, 2021. And according to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the enemy is within the House of Representatives. Yes, that is what she said today at her weekly press briefing provocative words, explosive words for sure. We're going to have more on that in a moment. Also today, the life issue under attack today. President Biden out with an executive order that has faithful conservatives pretty peeved. Is pretty peeved in the Bible? I'll have to check that. Plus, a U.S. congressman will be here to give us a look at a new pro-life bill aimed at protecting those with Down syndrome. And Donald Trump and Kevin McCarthy sitting in a tree, K-I-S, all right, never mind about that. Anyhow, the power couple meeting at Mar-a-Lago today down in Florida uh, to try and heal some of the political wounds post-January 6th. What is the road back for the GOP? We're going to explore that. But first, more on Nancy Pelosi's comments today, where she ripped House Republican members, accusing some of them of being the enemy within. It shouldn't be that not only is the president of the United States inciting an insurrection, but keeps fanning the flame, endangering uh, the, uh, the security of members of Congress to the point that they're even concerned about members in the House of Representatives being a danger to them. What exactly did you mean when you said the, that the enemy is within? What exactly did, did it you means mean by that, that we have members of Congress who want to bring guns on the floor and have threatened uh, violence on other members of Congress? All things heating up. Uh, let's uh, dissect some of this and bring in Nancy Pelosi's longtime former communication director, Brendan Daly. Brendan, great to have you on the show. Good to see you again. Good to be here, David. Well, Brendan, what do you make of uh, the speaker's comments today? Pretty provocative. Well, they were, but I think she was reflecting the concerns of her members, as always. Um, a lot of them really felt threatened on January 6th, certainly during the insurrection. And AOC, you probably have seen, has tweeted a few times about, you know, she thought she was going to be killed that day. And even since then, the House members, and particularly those who don't have security, are concerned about threats that have been uh, leveled against them. And then, as you know, the speaker wanted to put in uh, magnetometers to prevent members from walking to the floor with guns. And some of them have just gone around and, and tried to bring a gun onto the floor. I don't know that she thinks that necessarily is it going to happen on the floor, but I think it just reflects the heightened concern about security and its ongoing concern of both members and staff. I've talked to my friends up there, used to work there, and this was, this was serious. Every day, I think we learn more and more how serious it was and the real threat that it, it occurred to both the members and the staff. Brendan, we're going to get some sort of security assessment about January 6th. What's your expectation of what you think that might show? There's a lot of unanswered questions. A lot of people want to know what potential Republican Congress members might have had something if to do with it or the tours that they were giving beforehand. At the same time, there are a lot of people wondering what did Nancy Pelosi and others know beforehand? Because how does the sergeant at arms not necessarily inform leadership about a potential threat? That has a lot of people wondering what's going on there. 
Well, I'm, I don't think she knew anything in advance. I haven't talked to anybody there about mm -hmm. this specifically, so I have no inside knowledge. But I'm sure she would have done anything she could to protect the members and the institution. I think that the members all thought that the you know Capitol Police were prepared. They knew this was coming and that they would have enough security forces there. Clearly, they didn't have enough and they were overrun pretty quickly, pretty easily. And, you know, you saw a much level, uh, different level of security at the inaugural, which was way, way more. And, you know, thousands of National Guard troops, unfortunately, that had to be there and fencing that was much farther out. So I think in retrospect, obviously, there wasn't nearly enough security on January 6th, and that should have been done. And I think that's what any kind of review will find out. But as you say, we should find out what else. Uh, if members of Congress did give tours and aided abetted some of these insurrectionists, we need to know that. Brendan, can you tell us a little bit more? You know Nancy Pelosi well. Uh, talk to us some of the challenges that she faces uh, in this Congress. You've got the progressive wing, obviously. You've uh, She's trying to kind of keep the caucus together, but she has a much tighter majority there. What are the political dynamics on the Hill, Brendan? I think that's exactly right. You've hit it that you know, it's a much tighter majority, certainly in the House and in the Senate, it's 50-50. You can't get any tighter than that. So um, that makes it harder in terms of trying to pass legislation just with one party. I think you know she and the president certainly would like to reach out to Republicans and on COVID relief, on infrastructure, on any number of issues. I think there could be some bipartisan support. We'll see whether that can happen. It's a very, um, you know, as you, you know, the president's called for unity, and I think members want that, but there has to be some sort of accountability of what happened, particularly on January 6th. And that's really why impeachment is going forward. And I know a number of Republicans are concerned about that. But I think from the Democratic point of view, this was an insurrection, and this was a danger to our democracy, as well as to the lives and the health of staff and members. I mean, some of these insurrectionists were chanting, hang Mike Pence. This was a serious thing. This wasn't just a few folks who kind of got out of hand. This was a planned attack. And, you know, we see every day now more and more of the Capitol Police officers who were injured. One got his eye poked. They may lose his eye. Two of them have committed suicide since the attack. Right. Uh, it's really been a serious situation. And so I think that kind of has to be resolved. And then we can hopefully move forward and put that behind us. Uh, Brendan, just so I understand, you said accountability. There needs to be accountability here. Uh, what, are you referring specifically to uh, the impeachment and then the, the, the potential trial coming up? Or are there other ways and measures that you believe that there should be accountability here? Oh, specifically referring to impeachment. Okay. And, you know, we know it's going to be very difficult, I think, for the Senate to convict the president. Some people say, well, why would we even have a trial at all? I do think it's worth having the trial to point out not just on that day, but in the two months since the election leading up to that, what the president said and the fact that he repeatedly lied and a number of members of Congress actually lied when they knew the election wasn't stolen. There were so many chances for fraud to be proven in court, case after case after case and state after state. And judges from both who were appointed by, you know, even President Trump, certainly by President Obama, President Bush, judges from all different um, persuasions, all threw them out because there wasn't any evidence of it. And so I think we have to sort of establish a set of facts that there was a, not a fraudulent election. Joe Biden was elected properly. And once people can accept that and state that and accept that, then we can move on. But we still don't hear people and enough people really stating that to me, obvious fact. Yeah. Brendan, what's the danger here for Democrats in terms of overplaying their hand here? I mean, it's a, it's a slight majority, obviously, in the House and, and a very tight razor thin in the, in the Senate. 
but they, they do feel like they have a mandate. The election was is over. Uh, so, so I guess my question then becomes, I, I'm looking at things like, for example, in the Senate, budget reconciliation. I mean, that doesn't necessarily strike unity to me. Uh, obviously, the packing of the courts, I know there's some mansion, mansion and other people are, are against it. But, but I, I wondered about the budget reconciliation in the Senate, because it seems to me it, that is a powder keg. If you want unity, I'm not quite sure if that's necessarily the way to go about it, but progressives want to do this. Well, some of them do, certainly. And, and I think Democrats as a whole want to get something done. So you'll see the president, I think, try to work with this bipartisan group in the Senate in particular. You know, there's a group that uh, some are calling the Sweet 16. It's the sort of the uh, moderate, uh, eight moderates on the, on the Republican side and the Democratic side who can work together. And if they can get something done, I think that the question is, how long will that take? Let, let's start with COVID relief. There was a package that got approved at the end of last year under President Trump. But I think the Democrats and many economists feel like that wasn't enough. The economy's in real trouble. We just had economic news uh, this morning saying that for year 2020, the actual the economy sank by 2.5%. And so mm -hmm. we still need to do more stimulus. And so I think if there can be agreement on that, the question is how big would that be? Would it include aid to state and local governments? Would it include uh, more money for vaccinations and that kind of thing? If that can be done, I think that's something that should be done. And the president has made it very clear he wants to try to work in a bipartisan way. If that doesn't happen, then I think you're right. It probably would go through budget reconciliation. The question, I guess, is sort of how long do you wait? How long do you try to get this to work out? Yeah. And I don't think I know the answer to that, but certainly we need to give a little bit of time to try to, to get that to, uh, to see if we can work in a bipartisan way. And if not, then the stimulus really needs to be done. And so then it would have to be done under reconciliation. Okay, so not to, not to geek out, but just for people wondering about budget reconciliation, uh, help our viewers out. I mean, because the bottom line is what you're saying is, especially in the Senate, uh, you got 50 Democrats. They got to get 10 Republicans to get something done on a big bill. Right. If, but you're saying if they don't get there and whatever time that is, if they just let that go and they don't have 10 Republicans to work with them, then you're saying, well, then you know what? Maybe we'll cut a short, a smaller deal with 60 votes uh, and then possibly use so what they what they wanted to do with just 50 votes. They can maybe do it through budget reconciliation. Correct. And, and, and for those who don't know what that means, it just means that you don't need the 60 votes if you do through reconciliation. It has to be mm -hmm. some sort of financial matter. That's why we call it a budget reconciliation. That's, in fact, how health care got passed back in uh, 2009 and 2010. Um, and I think everyone would have wanted that to be more bipartisan. And the question is, yes, we want unity, but at some point we also want action. And if the Republicans will not vote, even if 10 of them won't go for a, a specific bill that uh, the, the administration and the Senate and the House leadership thinks is important, then they would go that route. But I do think at the beginning, they're going to try. I mean, if there's anybody who's really made a career of working with the other side, it's Joe Biden. He's a centrist. He's worked with Mitch McConnell on a number of things. I know he wants to try to get that done that way. And we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, I got 30 seconds or so left. Uh, he's off to a flying start, if you will, with executive orders. Uh, the media, even the New York Times, making a big deal about this uh, in terms of maybe it's too much. Uh, what's your sense of the executive orders that he's signing? I got about 20 seconds or so, Brennan. Sure. No, I understand why there's a concern about that, but I think he feels like he promised action right from day one, and he wants to live up to that promise. And so far, he certainly has. So the first week or so, he's really taken a lot of actions that he said he would do. He's following through. 
Brendan Daly, great to see you. Great insight. And uh, hope you'll come back on the show. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks, David. Anytime. Thank All you. All right. Brendan Daly, uh, former uh, communications director for Nancy Pelosi. And can I say long time? I'm saying long time in a very nice way. I'm not trying to date him or anything. Uh, but, uh, you know, he power player up on the Hill. Uh, and we'll see what the next moves are for him as we move forward. All right. Uh, Congressman Ron Estes from Kansas is going to be uh, joining us next to talk about his new anti-abortion bill. Some people would call it something different. The bottom line is he believes, the congressman believes, it's going to protect those with Down syndrome. Back in a moment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, Joe Biden, once again, getting the executive order pen out today, talking quite a bit about or actually implementing certain uh, what the liberals would call pro-choice policy. Uh, the conservatives would say it's pro-abortion policy. It has to do with rescinding uh, right there. You can see he's uh, says President Biden to sign executive orders, strengthening Americans' access to quality, affordable health care. But he goes on to basically say that the Biden administration is going to rescind the global gag rule, also referred to as the Mexico City policy. In other words, your taxpayer money would go to funding abortion overseas. But let's talk about another life issue. As a matter of fact, there is a new bill uh, in Congress, and it is called the Protecting uh, Individuals with Down Syndrome Act, uh, sponsored by Congressman uh, Ron Estes uh, and, uh, from Kansas. And we want to bring him uh, into the conversation now. Congressman Essie, great to have you on the show, sir. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Well, let's talk about it. Uh, it introduced today, uh, so hot off the presses. Uh, tell us more about the bill and, and what it means. Yeah, it, it's really important that the, the piece of legislation that, that we've introduced in the House and, and also a companion bill has been introduced in the Senate. And, and basically the focus is that mothers shouldn't be pressured into uh, having an abortion uh, just because their their children, their soon-to-be-born children, have an extra chromosome. So we want to make sure that uh, we we support life. You know, when we talk about uh, the sanctity of life, we you know that really is the first thing when we talk about uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we need to be supportive of that. Uh, want to make sure that uh, we help make sure that uh, doctors don't go out and perform abortions, and and picking and choosing. Uh, what quality of life they're going to dictate on on individuals on these on these unborn babies? Yeah, it seems like a no-brainer of a bill, and yet you're going to get resistance by the Democrats. It, it really is, and we introduced it last session and and uh, tried to work through the process and, and get that passed. Uh, it, it's it's one of those things that, that you know, as you mentioned uh, earlier, that uh, today seems to be the uh, the pro-abortion day for uh, the Biden administration in terms of talking about so many things that they're they're going to force us as Americans to pay for and to do, and and we need to talk more about how do we protect life and how do we make sure that people have the opportunity to live their lives as they choose to. Mm-hmm. And talk to me a little bit about uh, this idea that elections do have consequences. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, Joe Biden winning this election, he's going he's doing executive order after executive order. And a lot of people have made a big deal about it, saying, I can't believe he's doing all these executive orders. You know, my take on it, quite frankly, Congressman, is like, well, 
they fundamentally agree with everything the Trump administration stood for, so he's going ahead and trying to reverse a lot of it. Yeah, it really is bad. When you when you go back and compare what was said, what was promoted, what was talked about uh, during the campaign trail, uh, the, the Biden administration uh, or the Biden campaign uh, didn't promote what they were really going to do when they got into office. And of course, the media gave them a pass and, and allowed them to, to skate under the surface. And, and now that they're in office, uh, they're doing so many things to, to promote uh, this pro-abortion agenda and and focusing uh, on a, uh, the burden that we as taxpayers have to pay for that uh, choosing who who gets to live and who doesn't uh, going through this process and and we we should stand up against that I, I I'm not a big advocate of executive orders whether Republicans or Democrats are doing it mm-hmm. uh, but particularly to go through this process you know when when we we've, we've had this policy in place for years and you know being able to look at, uh, for example, the you know the Mexico City Accords, and and uh, just because by by the stroke of a pen, a, a president gets rid of that. So we need to focus on getting good legislation passed, like the uh, the bill to to protect the individuals with Down syndrome, uh, so that people understand and the laws in place, and that a, an a, a, an administration like the Biden administration can't come in and and wipe that off the books. Congressman, Democrats obviously control the House. There'll be a lot of people that watch this interview and go, wait a minute, why even introduce a bill like this? Uh, because Nancy Pelosi is never going to take it up. It's not going to get passed. What, what's, the, what's the point of, I mean, obviously it's your job to introduce these bills and to, and to try to get legislation passed, but you have hurdles in the House. So, so what's, the, um, what's the expectation here? What, what are you trying to ultimately do here uh, in terms of the greater good? Yeah. So, so uh, you know, most good legislation takes multiple years to get passed. Mm. You know, from the standpoint of you introduce it, you start talking about the concept. If you, you obviously you have a lot of supporters that are on your side when you start that process, uh, but you may or may not have a majority in that in that mix. So we want to continue to talk about it. We want to continue to talk about. Uh, this is an important policy that we ought to have as a country. And and part of it is we look to, you know, there will be another election. Uh, next year we'll have another election and, and there'll be a, a complete opportunity to, to replace members in the House of Representatives and elect members that support good policies like this. So this is one of those things that even if we can't get enough votes for it to pass the House this Congress, at least we can talk about it, that this would be the the type of policy that we would implement if the Republicans did have the majority in the House. And when we get that majority back in in two years, uh, we'll be able to pass this type of policy. And and it's something that's good for the country, certainly good for the hundreds of thousands of individuals that have Down syndrome now. It seems like uh, the times times have changed on the on the life issue. In other words, it seems to be going in a very positive direction because of the ultrasound technology and a lot of the new gadgets that are out there. The people are really seeing what's at stake here as it relates to uh, babies' lives. I'm wondering to get your take on where this movement is going compared to the same-sex uh, marriage movement, which seems like that train has left the other station in the other direction. But on the life issue, it seems to be a much different ballgame. There seems to be a real opportunity there. Yeah, when when you look at real science, I mean, our our science, our our medical capabilities are so much better today than they were 20 years ago or even 10 years ago in in terms of being able to to help newborns help individuals with diseases uh, to recover from those and to grow from those. And and we need to make sure that as we are capable of doing more, 
with our medical capabilities uh, that we reflect the laws to, to support that. And, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, abortion after 20 weeks. You know, there's only, you know, seven countries in the world, including China and North Korea, uh, that allow abortion at that late stage because they know the medical technology is there to support life. And the United States shouldn't be in that category of those countries. Yeah, I was reading through your fact sheet. It's fascinating to see that, or horrible to see, about the abortion rate of babies with Down syndrome. It's just, it's, it's really sad to see. It, it really is. And, and you know, this is... It, this is who are you or I to determine whether somebody's life's worth living. I mean, we go right. down this slippery slope uh, doing that. It's something that's going to going to affect so many people. And it, it starts a terrible process in terms of uh, looking yeah. at uh, whether you whether you should be allowed uh, to have your to maintain your life and live the way you want to. Well, Congressman Estes, really appreciate the important legislation you're bringing forward. And you're from Kansas. So you know what I'm going to say. Go Chiefs, right? That's right. Go Chiefs. All right. I won't say the quarterback of the other team. I promise I won't. <laughs> Thank you. Congressman Estes here on the water cooler. Back in a moment with Jenna Ellis talking about the life issue. Back in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, Joe Biden, I tell you what, someone's got to get me a framed copy or give me a pen. Give, give me one of those executive order pens because they're going out of style. Uh, you know, boy, the, the way he is signing executive order after executive order. I, I wonder, Madison, can we get one on eBay? How much do they cost on eBay? I bet you it's $1.50. But just a dollar fifty. All right. Uh, anyhow, I want one of those pens. So if we can get that in the water cooler budget, that'd be great. Uh, so many different executive orders, including some on pro-life. He's now going to reverse the, what they're calling the Mexico City policy, which is uh, basically allowing funding to uh, promote abortions overseas. That uh, Joe Biden is uh, apparently all for that. Uh, let's bring in Jenna Ellis, a former senior advisor to the Trump campaign, constitutional law attorney. Great to have you back on the show, Jenna. Always great to see you, David. Thanks. Well, uh, talk to me about this global gag rule, this uh, what used to be called the Mexico City policy. Um, Joe Biden is at it again. Uh, what, what's your take? Yeah, well, of course, this is a huge disappointment uh, to anyone who understands that the pro-life position is to value every human life uh, and make sure that it's our obligation as uh, the government to preserve and protect um, every human life that's made in the image of God. And so I think that what we need to highlight here, David, is that, you know, Joe Biden ran on uh, being a Catholic, being a man of faith. And now um, as a Democrat, he is instituting policies that completely contravene uh, the Catholic and the Christian faith uh, in terms of abortion. And so uh, for this this so-called Mexico City policy, I mean, we've seen it was first instituted by Ronald Reagan uh, back in the 1980s and then has been reversed and then reinstated uh, since. And, and President Trump, of course, kept his promise to the American people by extending it further that it wasn't uh, just federal dollars that went to these uh, NGOs or these non-government uh, organizations that directly promoted uh, abortion. But even if those NGOs then funded other organizations that promoted abortion, they didn't receive federal dollars. So this was a huge win under the Trump administration 
for pro-life policies. And so for these so-called faith-based voters that actually voted for Joe Biden, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of regret from um, a lot of them and also some of the churches that didn't stand up more directly for President Trump. Jenna, you know what's always fascinated me with Joe Biden? He says he's personally pro-life. I've heard this from him before, but he, but 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 he's still uh, pro-abortion on many of his policies. So so what I, what I never understood with Joe Biden is that he he's talking about compassion and he lives out his biblical principles from a public policy perspective on everything but abortion. It's like it's like on that all of a sudden I'm personally feel that way, but I'm not going to implement policy on that. It's shocking to me. Yeah, and it doesn't make sense. I mean, for people who are genuine Christians, uh, we understand that our faith is the foundation, and that's actually what our uh, American Constitution was built upon uh, with that premise in the Declaration that our rights come from God, our Creator, not our government. And it's the sole purpose of government to preserve and protect those rights, chief among them, first of all, life, then liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And so Joe Biden can't claim to be a sincere Catholic and then contravene that at work. Um, that that's something that is just absolutely hypocritical. And uh, for anyone who is a genuine faith-based Christian, we understand that that's the foundation of who we are as uh, as Christians, and that we have to uh, make sure that when we approach civics, when we approach any discipline in our work, we have to carry those faith and values uh, yeah. forward. So I think yeah. that Joe Biden is showing that he's really not a genuine Catholic. Hmm. I, I want to show you this poll uh, that came out from Marist about abortion funding. It's, it's interesting. Let, let's put it up on the screen. And it talks about uh, basically a majority, uh, more than three quarters, actually, of Americans, 76 percent, including a majority who identifies pro-choice, want significant restrictions on abortion. And they either and 77 percent of those polled either oppose or strongly oppose using tax dollars to support international abortion. You you just got to wonder if Democrats just are are not only missing the mark, but they're overreaching here, not just on the abortion issue. But uh, once again, they may be shooting themselves in the foot by doing it yet again. Of course, and we are the pro-life generation. We've seen uh, not only the you know the medical advances in technology to see the fetal heartbeat, to see um, you know things that we couldn't a hundred years ago about when uh, life truly begins. And so you know with these advances, we're seeing that so many people are recognizing that uh, unborn human life is worth protecting. And so this is just another example of how the Democrat Party is so elitist, and they're not truly representing the American people. They're only representing their own uh, policies and their own preferences. And so yeah. I think especially with uh, the March for Life, I see you have one of the uh, the graphics up there that's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, later on this week. Um, I think it's so incredibly important uh, throughout the Biden administrations uh, for Christians to stand up, to stand firm, and that we have to continue to advocate for pro-life. Yeah. I've got about a minute and a half or so left. I want to get your uh, take on the 1776 commission before uh, we let you go. Uh, the Biden administration rescinding it, getting rid of it in essence. Uh, what do you explain to people exactly what this commission was attempting to do? And, and the fact that the Biden administration decided to rescind it just sends to, to me sends a very strange message about the history of this country. 
It really does. Uh, President Trump, of course, on Constitution Day last year, uh, created the 1776 Commission to generate a report um, about education in America and combating critical race theory, which is, you know, this ridiculous, uh, totally separate take and propaganda against the truth about America's founding and America's history. And so what the 1776 Commission was designed to do was uh, to create a report and implement uh, policy and recommendations for education curriculum to make sure that we teach our young people the truth about patriotism and about America's history, like we just talked about with the Declaration. Our rights come from God, our creator, not our government. And that's genuine equality. When we look only to Imago Dei and that people are made, every human being made in the image of God. For Biden to uh, completely disband the 1776 commission on the second day uh, while he's in office, I think really sends a message that he doesn't care about America's heritage and he's only for this type of propaganda. He's not for genuine equality in how the founders meant, and he's not for preserving and protecting America's heritage or true genuine liberty and freedom. Yeah, by the way, the last time I checked, if I see the front lines of the Judeo-Christian fight in this country, you're right there, Jenna. I see you. You're right on the front lines, by the way. So thanks for being there. Thank you. All right. That's uh, Jenna Ellis uh, here with us on the show. Uh, always great to have her. Uh, stalwart a stalwart uh, defending Judeo-Christian principles. Uh, she's not just doing that on television. <laughs> Check out her Twitter feed uh, and you'll get a, a taste of that uh, for sure. All right, we have a lot more uh, show coming up, including Pastor Brian Gibson. He's the lead pastor of His Church, H-I-S as in His, not like Brian Gibson's church. You know who the His is. Jesus. Of course, the his is Jesus. Anyhow, not that I had to explain that. Uh, he's in hiding, folks. That's right. That's what the liberals uh, are doing to folks. Uh, they're actually getting pastors now that have to go into hiding because of certain attacks on, on them. Back in a As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, how is Joe Biden doing as president? That's a good question. Hey, I have a good idea. Boy, I scared myself there. Hey, uh, let's take a poll about it. So it's time for, we need to all shout this out. We, I need more people around. The poll of the day. Water Cooler. Poll of the day. Poll of the day here at the water cooler. So do you approve or disapprove of the way President Biden is performing his job? This is a Just the News poll taken by Scott Rasmussen. 41% actually say strongly approve. 17% somewhat approve. 7% somewhat disapprove. 25% strongly disapprove. 11% not sure because they're at the Taco Bell drive through and have better things to do. So basically, 58% pretty much approved so far of the way Biden is handling his job. Okay, it's early. It's early. We'll see how those numbers are in a month, two months, six months, a year. We'll see. Um, I don't know why I'm shouting. Uh, let's bring in Pastor Brian Gibson, uh, lead pastor at his church. Uh, pastor Gibson has been on the show quite often and always great to have you back, sir. Pastor Gibson, thanks for being here. 
Hey, thanks so much for having me, David. It's always an honor to be with you. Well, uh, last time we talked to you, you were in hiding, basically. The liberals were kind of going at you. Uh, what's your status now based on, and this, just uh, the background on it was January 6th. They felt like, you know, they, they, I don't know, they had bad intel about you, uh, which was not true. But tell, tell us where, what's going on now. Yeah, well, there's the picture of me with the guy with the ferret on his head. And uh, I learned an <laughs> a important, important lesson, David. Don't take a picture with anyone, right? Because now in America's hateful culture, whatever they do for the rest of your life, you're responsible for. So mm. they took that pic and the pic of that guy in the Capitol. They merged the two of us together. And uh, then I think it was a coordinated uh, threat against my life. That's what a lot of uh, attorneys and investigators think. Uh, the, the threats came in, the calls came in, the emails came in uh, by the thousands. They printed all my personal information online, including my address. I'm still getting hate mail there, written hate mail to where my, my children should live. So can't go back to the house, uh, still moving around and taking things seriously. But, uh, you know, I, we're not afraid. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, power, love, and a sound mind. That's right. Uh, I'm moving around not just to protect us, but to protect any unhinged person that would try to do us harm. You know, the best the best fight is the one you avoid. That's what all the jujitsu guys teach you. So you just try to <laughs> stay out of harm's way for everyone's protection, right? No, absolutely. Uh, and by the way, uh, you are fighting for Judeo-Christian principles. That's what you were doing. You've been doing it uh, for a very long time, but definitely during this latest campaign for president. Uh, the pre President Biden now has put out this uh, memoranda uh, as it relates to the global gag rule or what used to be called the Mexico City policy on abortion. Uh, I want to put some of this up. This is what uh, the Biden administration says, uh, like memoranda issued by President Clinton and President Obama before him, it immediately rescinds the global gag rule, also referred to as the Mexico City policy, which bars international nonprofits that provide abortion counseling or referrals from receiving U.S. funding. I think conservatives might put it another way. In other words, U.S. taxpayer dollars, Pastor Gibson, are going to support abortion overseas. Absolutely. Under the Biden administration, your hard-earned tax dollars will now be funneled around the nation to slaughter the innocent. Let me say that again. Hmm. Your hard-earned taxpayer do dollars will now be funded around the world, thrown around the world to slaughter the innocent. So every person that, that believes in um, the sanctity of, sanctity of life, that believes that every every child is made in the image of God, right now you are you are funding by Joe Biden's decree the death of the innocent. Hmm. Well, this is health care day, apparently, uh, for Joe Biden. In other words, he's doing all these executive orders, this one and a few others. And it, it makes you wonder, and it's something Jenna Ellis and I talked about earlier in the show, but it makes you wonder about exactly how he comports his Catholic faith with the teaching in the Catholic Church about abortion. This has been something that never, it didn't trip him up during the campaign. I don't know if the media gave him cover for it, uh, but, you know, I got to tell you, I've heard time and time again how he's personally pro-life, but then the policy doesn't match. I always thought the policy and the personal should go hand in hand, should it not? Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, America always talks about a hypocrite. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is a person that says one thing and does the other. And this lie from the left that you can have a faith or you can have this belief in your personal life that doesn't bleed into your policy or your public life uh, is not true Christianity. It's not a, a true representation of the Catholic faith. If there's anything um, a pro-life person isn't, is they are not a, a Catholic. Um, Catholics have taken a stand for life. They've taken a stand for the sanctity of life, like, like myself. Um, 
you cannot reconcile the death of the innocent with the teaching of the scriptures. So what we see here is a twist and a turn of what they're saying Christianity is. They're trying to redefine Christianity in America now, and Joe Biden is uh, is the pinnacle of the attempt to redefine that. That's what we're seeing right now, David. You know, Pastor Gibson, we should point out that the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops for sure has condemned Joe Biden on this. Uh, uh, having said that, there is the the, the moderate Catholic, uh, the Democrat Catholic, uh, who voted uh, for this president. Uh, they voted for Joe Biden, uh, and they voted for him on, on many other issues that Catholics are, that are important to Catholics, whether it be basically a, kind of this Matthew 25 kind of compassion uh, gospel. And that part of it, I think, is part of the problem. I mean, compassion is a big part of the Bible, but it's not the gospel a part of the Bible. And I think a lot of times uh, what's getting confused there is the gospel, the compassion becomes the gospel to many of those, uh, many of those folks. Yeah, yes, uh, I think here's where, where the real confusion comes in, is of course we're supposed to be compassionate as believers and Christians. So that's something, something we're to do as, as a person. But the moment you take over taxpayer dollars, it doesn't become an act of generosity by a Christian. It becomes something that's mandated to people. It's misused. The government always messes up these programs. And what could be happening at the real faith level at the churches and all, all, at grassroots level, the government gets in, muddies it and destroys it. Mm -hmm. So I think um, these people are, are misled. They're misguided. Many of them are, are good people. They don't understand what kind of machine they bought into. So, yeah, it's true. Compassion and the gospel are not the same, but we can be compassionate and also take care of of our generosity ourselves, not a government mandate. This is government mandating and overreach into your personal life, and it's just wrong. Mm. Pastor Brian Gibson, this is where you say, come on, come on, preach. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, come on. Come on, David. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I love it. You can get an amen. You're not going to get an A-woman, <laughs> but you'll get an amen. No, right. no. No A-woman. <laughs> All right. Pastor Gibson, great to have you on the show. Love to get you back uh, next week. Thanks again. Uh, he's gone. Uh, just boom. He's like, honestly, he's been raptured. Look it up. Uh, but anyhow, all right. <laughs> I'm cracking myself up. Back in a moment with the, with the last six. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis. Go green with solar panels or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back to the water cooler. Oh, gosh. Uh, time for the last sip. I don't even have my cup. My cup doesn't run over or runneth over. Anyhow. All right. Did you know that um, humans are fatter than elephants? Thank you. You're never going to get that anywhere else, but you get it here. Uh, humans are fatter than elephants, according to science. Uh, calling someone an elephant is now a compliment. <laughs> hey, honey, you're an elephant. No, that's not going to go over well. Uh, in case you thought people weren't chunky enough, a U.S. study found that, uh, uh, what does that say? I can't even read it. Even elephants in captivity uh, pack less fat than the average human. And by the way, if I could just uh, continue uh, telling you a little bit about, there's some elephants from uh, the Lion King, apparently. Uh, so here's how they determined this, right? Uh, basically, they went ahead and soaked in heavy water a special sub substance. They soaked a bread, actually, in heavy water. 
and it helped calculate the elephant's water weight. They strapped it to the elephant's ankles. Long story, bottom line is they found out this. Male elephants carry 8.5% body fat, and female elephants, roughly 10% body fat. Don't judge me. Don't kill the messenger. I'm just telling you. Anyhow, that is markedly less than the healthy human percentages, which range anywhere from 6% to 31%. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, humans weigh more than elephants. Now, I'm going to be quite frank with you. I have no more information to give you. That is pretty much the end of the segment. But I'm going to be fully transparent. I've got about a minute or so until we have to go to break. So I've got to figure out what else I can say for a minute. But I'll tell you what. When in doubt, cue the green screen elephants because there they are. Uh, and if you think about uh, all of this, uh, did you know the fattest person in the world, by the way? I have this in my hip pocket in case I ever needed it for an occasion like this. The fattest person in the world, 1,400 pounds. That's right, 1,400 pounds. Um, I have his name somewhere. Uh, he, he's no longer alive. But can you believe that? 1,400 pounds. Uh, but I tell you what, that's impressive. I, I would just say this. Here's what you don't want to say, once again, to your, to your wife, for sure, is, honey, you look great. You look like an elephant. Because that's not going to go over well. But technically, according to science, it is true. It is true. Elephants have less body fat, sorry, yes, less body fat than humans. So isn't that interesting? Thank you very much. Um, I now have nine seconds left before we have to go to break. That's all I've got to say. I wish I had some water. I could do a last sip, drink it for four seconds. Anyhow, back in a minute. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, two words for you, budget reconciliation. I know it's a bit complicated. Listen, the other day I was talking to my daughter and she was kind of going crazy with the credit card. I said, hey, we need to have a budget reconciliation meeting, if you know what I'm saying. But that's a separate issue. Let's bring in Nick Ballacy, a senior correspondent with Just the News. Com. By the way, impressive that you're a senior correspondent. It's not an AARP. Th I mean, you're not a 55 and older situation here, Nick, is it? No, no, just a lot of experience. That's <laughs> okay, all. just a lot of experience. All right, budget reconciliation. Good luck. Don't put our viewers to sleep. What do you got? Well, in order to not put anybody to sleep, let me give you the summary. The summary is with budget reconciliation, the a house would be able to get a stimulus bill, in this case, the coronavirus bill. They'd be able to get it over to the Senate, then the Senate would be able to pass it with a simple majority. Now, that would just be 51 votes. You, you have Kamala Harris as the tie-breaking vote in the Senate for the Democrats. Pelosi says today that that's the plan. If they can't get bipartisan support for the large-scale coronavirus stimulus package that Biden wants, which right now is estimated to be at $1.9 trillion. If they're not able to get bipartisan support on it, she's ready to work with the Senate Democrats and get the bill passed and sent to Biden's desk through budget reconciliation. Now, the reason this bill would appear to qualify is because it impacts the federal budget. Now, granted, we are already are seeing huge deficits, record deficits, a record national debt, uh, about $28 trillion. So this bill would uh, increase the deficit and pile on more to the national debt. But, of course, that's a debate they're going to be having in, in um, both chambers about how big this package should be. 
Right, and just so we're under, on the same page, normally if it's not a budget reconciliation bill, then you've got to get 60 votes in the Senate. But if you do it by budget reconciliation, the threshold is much lower, bottom line. That, right? Yep, that's it. All right, I understand. Nick Ballacy, great to see you. You did a great job, by the way, explaining that. I just want to let you know. Thank you. You can check more out on justthenews.com. We're following it every day. I'm sure you are. All of us are. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. Senior correspondent. Uh, on, on the show tomorrow, uh, Democrat Roland Martin will be here. Uh, not Dean Martin. Dean Martin's dead, I think. Uh, Dave Bratt, uh, also from Liberty University. Liz Harrington will be here. And Manny Miranda, an old-time friend. I've known Manny for, oh, since the Civil War. Uh, he'll be here to talk uh, immigration. See you tomorrow.